Hey y'all, Alex Barinka here, head of external affairs at Verishop and host of Finding Inspo, the first ever shoppable podcast where I sit down with founders, creators, and influencers from across the retail world and pick their brains for information you can use in life and in business. What I'm most interested in is where they are finding inspo and how they turn that inspiration into reality. Because that ability to actually take an idea and turn it into a real product that others love is what really makes them different. My guest this week has been able to walk the thinnest of lines, combining art and commerciality and doing it with the highest honors. He's collaborated with globally respected artists and his work has even graced the galleries of the new museum. And it's graced those iconic frames of model Cara Delevingne, musician Quavo, NBA player Carmelo Anthony, and the dynamic duo of Zayn Malik and Gigi Hadid. That's right, today we're actually talking fashion with award-winning menswear designer Lawrence Chandler. He's the co-founder and creative director of the brand Rochambeau. While Lawrence's work may not be in the form of paintings or sculptures, Rochambeau's garments are deeply inspired by the contemporary art world and the dynamic New York City streets he calls home. He has the uncanny ability to absorb disparate ideas and the cultural ethos around him and turn them into the luxe streetwear clothing that's won the prestigious Walmart Prize and become a CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund finalist. For the Rochambeau uninitiated, the pieces incorporate familiar elements in new, innovative ways, while still channeling those silhouettes and the cultural influence that streetwear has always been synonymous with. You can find these brilliant juxtapositions of art and wearability in all the Rochambeau pieces we're carrying at Vera Shop. They're at the same time comfortable, but still boundary-pushing. Think a black tailored pant, but with a green zippered stash pocket. A sport short, but with pleats. A button down, but it's silk and covered in logos. I sat down with Lawrence for an exclusive conversation, taking us behind the scenes on his design process, where he finds his inspiration and how he's turned it into Rochambeau's Spring 2020 collection. You'll hear about everything from a famous legend in a full leather suit to how grainy porn VHS tapes wound up inspiring a pair of shorts. And stick around until the end of the show to catch a special clip taped in front of a live audience of retail insiders at Project Vegas, one of the biggest men's streetwear and contemporary trade shows. I sat down last month with Carl Kanai, known as the godfather of urban streetwear and whose dress greats like Tupac and the Notorious B.I.G., and with Jeff Staple, the man behind the brand Staple Pigeon, who brought streetwear collabs mainstream through early collaborations with mega brands like Nike and Coca-Cola. Now, on to how art meets streetwear and luxury fashion brand Rochambeau's clothing, all under the guidance of award-winning co-founder and creative director Lawrence Chandler. It's like, I never wanted this to even be this commercial thing. It's more about like how we got to work with cool people and do cool things in certain stores. And then there's definitely kind of like a still um, a subversive, you have to find it to know it kind of... uh, mentality to it and I like that you know I've never really worked on like this single crossover mainstream product per se it's more about just being able to evolve um, on a season by season collection by collection basis based upon the things that you know I wanted to work on at that time who are you designing for who's your guy 
I think it's somebody that is willing to take some risk and then look for something that is not um, saturated in the market. It's like sometimes we're making like a small release of something just because I want it to exist. That might mean we made 25 of something just because I wanted that to be in the market. Uh, So I think it's someone that appreciates that. And I think in a world where there is so much oversaturation and there are mass brands and everybody has access to everything, it's kind of unique to still be a little bit coveted and, and, you know, personalize the relationships. Like the retailers that we work with, we have a dialogue with. The particular reason I thought it was unique for us to uh, kind of talk was because you're doing unique marketing initiatives. It's a it's a way to kind of communicate that we're doing something cool with the brand. And I look for that, like that, like standard, um, we ship to a department store and where the clothes land, who knows, or they wind up in places not intended is something that we've never done. And I've like stayed away from. So I think it's a guy that kind of seeks that out. Give me a little bit of the background on Rochambeau. Where did you start this whole project? Uh, So Rochambeau started formally in 2011. Previous to that, I had always been working on creative projects, uh, going back as far as I can remember. Um, Essentially, I realized the other day, like, I've never had a job. I've never had a resume. I've never really done anything but work on kind of cool creative projects that ultimately evolved to Rochambeau. So 2011 was the formal start. Uh, built Rochambeau from the early stages um, with a great friend, uh, Josh Cooper. And we evolved it to the point where we were part of Vogue Fashion Fund. We won the Walmart Award. And it's kind of maintained that trajectory and evolved into being able to bridge my interest in contemporary art and working with um, artists and friends into translating that into making product. How did you get into the clothing business, though? How does creative background translate into starting? Uh, uh, what, what were your first garments? I think things are just moving so fast that I never had time to kind of premeditate that I was moving into the fashion business. Suddenly, I just realized that that's what I was doing. And that kind of stemmed from... Uh, I guess early 2000s in New York, there was this way to kind of signify yourself and your friends by creating a brand. Um, And there was this moment that I, I think back on of like an inflection point where I was invited to go out to the magic trade show. And this goes back to like 2006, seven. Uh, and I got there and we had been working on t-shirts and trying to do cool parties and gift them to friends in New York. And We got to Magic, and I looked around, and I was like, oh, my God, this is a business? Like, people are making money doing this? And that happened to be at the height of the world. Fast forward a year later, we were doing our first iteration of Let's Start a Brand as the world was imploding. So that was a fun lesson of, like, reality. But that led to, oh, if everyone's doing T-shirts and selling them in skate shops and the world just blew up, perhaps we should look at fashion and like, what does a full collection look like? And it was so wildly almost naive and ambitious that in hindsight, you'd think it was crazy. You have to be like almost young enough to not realize that like, how are you going to start a fashion brand with nothing and no resource? And, you know, that's what we did. My first thought would not be to uh, get bigger, spend more on materials and design a whole fashion line in the height of a recession. It was just blind naivety. 
like there was no thought into it. There's no business plan. There was nothing to say, is this rational or not? We just did it. Um, and then that's the interesting thing. Like persistence has to do so much with the ability to succeed in this market because it's a lot of work. And ultimately you're bringing product to life. And as much as it's fun to do cool things in fashion shows, like at some moment that has to convert and you actually have to deliver. Um, so that became, you know, part of the challenge as much as, uh, trying to innovate and do cool things, how are we going to get product to stores and who are we going to build as our relationships and partners and, and production resources and all of that. So that became like the, the parallel journey of the brand. Keep doing cool stuff, loving to participate in the fashion weeks and, and Paris and working on cool things and photo shoots and all of the like front facing stuff, but then the back of house, like how to build a business. And that kind of starting as what your friends enjoyed and, and doing stuff together with your friends, that's not necessarily the conventional way that folks are thinking about building a brand now. Do you think that that served you well, having started with that kind of true ethos of like me and my people, this is what we're about? Completely. And I think still to this day, like network is every Everything, our resources and relationships are how we get things done. That idea of like, how are we going to build a label without actually having the really capital or resource to do so, largely dependent upon our friends and our network and how we got things done, which means everything from our friend that's a skater is also a model, our friend's a stylist, but he has another job, and you just make it work. So uh, in a very organic way, kind of built this network almost by trial by fire of like who can get these things done and each opportunity afforded the next step uh, in the process. How did you along the way go about asking for help? Almost by not asking, just being like, this is such a cool opportunity. This is so much fun. We have to do this, you know, and just that goes back to the idea of like having a great network and having these relationships where it's not even work. It's like, sure, people have things that they do for money but then if there's this opportunity to do something that's super cool and you're just developing based upon like the idea and the concept and the creative it brings great people together what is the brand Rochambeau all about then how would you describe it to folks I think it's kind of a, it's a way to bridge the worlds of contemporary art and fashion in a way that kind of just develops cool product um, and for so long there was almost like I had this parallel interest in contemporary art and then I was working on Rochambeau, and I think over the last few years, I've been able to bridge that in a really cool way. Um, and that is just an exciting thing for me. And that goes beyond like we're working with an artist to develop a print. That means like we're going in studio, like we're, we're spending real time. We're looking at the artist's practice and, and what that looks like and how does that evolve and how does that translate into fashion? Is that incorporating a print or is that completely changing a silhouette or a shape or something? And it's just been a fun kind of way to to work within that art world and, and focus it on product. And what is your process like? Because you're not a formally classically trained uh, fashion background guy, which it's, perhaps has played to your advantage. Yeah, I think it's super um, visual in the sense that um, I'm reviewing everything. I'm suggesting high level visual concepts and then just kind of fleshing that out and organizing it in a way that like looks at the end goal. So like I'm involved in all steps of the process and then we have a really talented uh, core team um, and I trust them and uh, I let people make decisions and I basically try to surround myself with people I think that are like the best at what they do and then let them do it and then just kind of like give my input and try to steer the ship. Um, and, and I think, you know, it took a, a moment to get there. You know, there was a period of time when I was like, oh, the intern, great idea. Not that that's like a terrible thing, but then you start to realize like you have to own the decisions, you know? So 
that's that was a really key kind of inflection point where I was like, me having conviction in a decision is actually going to help the whole process move along. So at the beginning, it was just kind of like, every idea, let's all see. And now I've just kind of taken a, a little bit more of ownership uh, in that process. That sounds like growing as a person, a boss, uh, head of a, a line and as a brand at, at the same time. Yeah, and it's kind of a natural evolution. It doesn't happen overnight. So when you think about um, that process, if you're out in a studio here in New York and you find some amazing bit of inspiration, break it down for me. How does that actually start to translate itself into a garment? I think um, an idea gets planted and there's constantly like a stream of ideas. I'm like building. I have 55 right now like and it's just a process of like when can I get to executing them and then trying to organize them and then finding like a moment of synergy with for example an artist where and owning an idea like sometimes it just the idea is priceless you can never let an idea go like so if I have an idea I email it to myself I track it I keep it whenever and then there's a moment where an idea I'll just put it forth I'll just share it like I'll text the artist or I'll have met someone or I'll just like on site be like wouldn't it be really cool to do this? And then it kind of, that opens the door. And then from there, you develop the format of like, what is the scale and scope of that? And that's where it starts to shift to like heavy visuals, mood board build, referencing product practice, and then the experience and knowing the steps in the, in the process become key. Because then I can kind of guide and navigate um, how it can come to life. Putting a little bit of formality around perhaps the chaos. It's so important. Um, because also early stage would just invite chaos. And then you'd see prod projects that almost, I, somehow we've always gotten things across the line, but there were ones that weren't as easy as others. And they become part of like the learning. Because um, at the end of the day, you're making product. There's realities, there's limitations, there's labor, there's fabrics, there's you know international restrictions that you have to be aware of that all come into play. So as cool as the idea is, you have to find a way for that actually to exist. And that's what I think, Rochambeau's been good at. Is there a piece within the assortment that we carry that's a really good example of, I saw this thing, I went through that whole process, we mood boarded it, we figured it out, and now it's something that's a great representation of that initial idea? I think this uh, particular collection of spring one, the goal was really to just have like a strong vibrancy throughout the entire, uh, throughout the collection, which you could see here into the prints. And so, um, I think when we have the full look, like with that ingrained intarsia print in the in the green, that was like a really challenging one to kind of develop. And we didn't know if it was going to translate commercially, but it was cool to see it kind of get picked up. Um, and I think that's an exciting piece because that was like a fun new idea to attempt for the collection and it worked really well. And that is the 2CB. 2CB RCB. Give us the background on that. It's just, it's kind of uh, an internal reference, but it was fun to uh, translate it into this intarsia garment. Uh, and I think it turned out looking really cool. And it was just one of those things that I didn't know if the fabric would ever even get done or arrive on time. And then it's nice to see that actually translate and get into stores. And backing out a little bit, there is a little bit of a nod there to club culture. A, a uh, bit, yeah. There, g give us the, the 2CB it background. Was, it was ju uh, it's just like... A For those of us who aren't in the part know. Part of the inspiration for the collection was taking a nod to that culture and that was where we were pulling reference for the vibrancy of the color and the prints and kind of the theme that ran throughout. Let's take a quick break from my chat with Rochambeau Creative Director Lawrence Chandler. I want to tell you a bit more about where I work because if you're not shopping at Verishop, you're missing out on the easiest, fastest, most fashionable online shopping around. 
We started Verishop a little over a year ago. I was one of the first 10 employees there, and we did it with a laser focus on helping you discover new brands online in a way that's better than any other destination out there. We have free one-day shipping in the lower 48 states, free returns, a very responsive 24-7 customer care team, and a price match guarantee. It should already be a no-brainer, but I haven't even talked to you about what you'll find on the site. If you want anything in women's and men's fashion and accessories, home decor, beauty, wellness, and so much more, we've got you. There are more than 430 brands that our experts curate from around the world. From the big names you know, like Vince, All Saints, Tata Harper, Bull and Branch, to the ones only the it crowd knows, like Balm, Kosas, Year and Day, and of course, Rochambeau. I obviously think shopping with us is a no-brainer, but I'll help you try it out. New Verishop customers can take 20% off their first purchase with the code INSPOPODCAST. That's I-N-S-P-O-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And we love feedback, so tell me what you think about your experience. Tweet me or drop me a DM on Instagram at Alex Barinka. Now, back to my chat with Rochambeau's Lawrence Chandler. I saw you have some groupings, water repellent, packable, yeah. custom fabric. These aren't things that I typically associate with, uh, with most clothing that you see out there. Why think about those types of things? I think it's just fun to innovate and come up with new things each season in each collection and try things that we haven't worked on before, you know, like not kind of confined to that and just keep evolving it. Um, What's packable? Packable is so that the jackets are water resistant and they also can pack up into like this cool little takeaway bag. So they're like travel accessible. Um, It was a fun way to incorporate a functionality to the outerwear pieces. And a nice addition to your uh, go bag on a day like today. Exactly. Where it's gray and the opposite perhaps of of your vibrant spring collection. Like you noted, it's a nice uh, contrast to a gray backdrop to have like a blasting color vibrant collection. Yeah. And when you think about color, this neon red um that's up at the front um that's so bright yeah it's a it's also a a shape that i leads me to think back to like vintage 80s kind of what is it nylon and that's kind of what we were pairing and and playing with there and saying like how do you take that kind of classic silhouette that has that reference and then like modernize it and do something cool with it and kind of update it um and you know think about how do you pair that and wear that and you know to me, just being in New York and everyone just wearing black all day, it was fun to do a super bright collection. And when I think back to kind of the 80s throwback, um, you have a certain connotation in your mind of what that what that kind of idea or generation was. How do you retranslate that today? Like, what do you think about this kind of silhouette today in terms of this, uh, this red neon? I think it's just keeping things feeling like fresh and up to the moment and innovative and, you know, I don't know if modern is the right word, but it kind of represents the idea of what we're trying to do with the clothing. Uh, when I also kind of browse through here, you have the lovely utility-inspired pieces, particularly the cargo-type pants. Yeah. Would you call those cargo pants? Yeah, I would. Yeah, even though they happen to be made out of leather. It was like those are the fun kind of ca- contrast to think about like something non-traditional or taking a fabric like that and, and doing it in like a more utilitarian uh, garment. It's like a cool bridge. And it's also something that like doesn't exist in the market. Like I like doing things that if someone found them out of context, they would almost be like, "Who made this?" And you've moved the pocket there. It's not like yeah. the old school. Yeah, those cargo are just pockets. like the little adjustments to fit or details that. That's what we work hard at. 
So when you are um, continuing to develop your lines, Rochambeau's come far. I was looking back at some of the early collections, yeah. the 2014 boxing collection, which yeah. is so literal. This is a lot more nuanced, it seems. It seems like you're touching on um, some of these bigger ideas and trends, the utility trend, kind of pulling in more pops of color, but you're doing it in a... I'm not being slapped in the face as much with yeah, it's more. I think it's more evolved, and I think that comes to like getting comfortable with making like just cool design. Sometimes I think there's this transition from like getting lost in ideation and forgetting about like the practical purposes of creating product. And I think when I talk about like an evolution, I want the clothes to be wearable. You know, so sometimes you can get lost in like early seasons of like the idea and then the clothing becomes secondary. I like to keep the clothing like as the primary focus, but be like blasting full of concept reference and all of that. That seems like taking, sometimes I feel like art is just for art's sake. It's a little navel gazy. Yeah. That seems like a much more kind of mature, evolved way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you noticing that. It's, yeah. That's something that I've looked back on and you, and you, you always want to be evolving and you always want your next project to feel like your best project. And that's, you know, what kind of motivates to keep moving on this. And I think it's interesting, um, even though there's like a shift and kind of an evolving uh, thinking process to the traditional fashion calendar, I think the speed at which it moves is like one of the fun challenges of like how to actually pull this off, you know? And in some really unique way, we've never missed a season like for since we started. And that went from like when we had no resources and no orders uh, till up to now. Oh, you might miss a meal in the process. Yeah, of, of course. <laughs> Getting everything done. <laughs> um, I did have another dose of nostalgia looking at uh, this really colorful kind of wavy print here. This yeah. is the, the VHS tape TV display of old. Am I reading that right? Yeah, it's actually uh, grainy porn videos when you would like have the static on the channel, which I don't think kids would even understand what that means at the time. But if you were like flipping through the channels and there was that like blurred out box channel from I guess that was the 90s that's what we pulled references and recreated that print and used that to like tie together the color story why why that idea because they're so weird it's <laughs> like why not like and so when you go through a process like that I mean I bet this was not the first iteration of what this print looked like on fabric no how does that look can you give us a little bit of behind the Just scenes testing everything like I'm constantly like when you walked in here, I was talking to a materials provider. I just want to see everything, be testing everything, be prototyping everything and looking at it and being super tangible. Like I don't really ever even open spreadsheets or document. I want to see the material. I want to see the product. And that means we're going to test it. We're going to develop it. And that's where it's going to like originate from. Is there a really good starting point for somebody who doesn't know Rochambeau in the spring collection that you say, okay, this is one to add to your closet here that will kind of bring some of that Rochambeau ethos into your life? I think it's actually cool. This season, even though it's a spring collection, we have these leather pieces where we have like really cool pop colored leather that is certainly not a traditional item of clothing. Um, it's the first thing I walked up to when yeah. I walked up to this And one. I just was intentionally like, let's do it. Let's get vibrant pop leather and let's see how it goes. And um, we just dressed a really good friend, Miles uh, Watson, who's this amazing Olympic fencer. And he wore to the CFDA Awards, a full bright orange uh, leather look. And it was like the sickest thing ever. So I'm not saying that's for everyone. But for example, if, there, if you are a legend like Miles and you can pull that off, 
congrats, amazing. But then even if you see the incorporation into the more wearable pieces like the crews or the hoodies, there's that element of that pop color that lends itself to some of the bigger ideas in the collection. But like that's a nice derivative. Like you, is something as simple as the pop color uh, drawstring on the hoodie is like a nod to the bigger collection. Well, maybe someone who's maybe not the uh, legend, but aspiring legend, the yeah. hoodie is a great fit. And, and for both of those, I do want to bring up your attention to detail in the fabrics, the fabrication, all the little bits, how the logo is on the hoodie, um, how that uh, leather piece is constructed. It's wild. And it's something that's been talked about throughout Rochambeau's kind of rise is your supreme attention to detail and particularly in your fabrics. How do you think about bringing in new things um, that, you know, hopefully somebody will buy and decide to uh, try to aspire to be legend status? I think it's interesting to look at it like that. I, and I never really thought about it except that kind of what I alluded to, I never really moved forward based upon like a bottom line perspective, which arguably whether that is the right philosophy or not, I think it's led to this kind of process where the things that we bring into the collection are not based upon, like, generally the price point. Like, I'm not ruling things out um, with margins as my consideration. I'm just bringing in things I like and making things I think are cool. And then, like, secondarily, if they sell, great. How do you hope people feel when they wear your clothes? I think I hope they just feel comfortable and look cool. And I think if like people like uh, get a nod or respect or something from it, awesome. I mean, it's still so fun to see somebody wearing something you've created. You've talked a lot about creativity. You've talked yeah. about a lot about loving art. Is there a way that you flex that creativity outside of clothing itself? What else are you doing? Um, I really just enjoy getting to see great contemporary art shows and artists and galleries and museums. It's like I have the, I guess, the privilege to be able to travel a lot for Rochambeau, whether that's L.A. or Paris or Tokyo. And if I'm not in the midst of business, I'm going to see works and galleries. And it just kind of opens up for me a whole different kind of like pathway of creative and, and how I connect things and think about, you know, potential down the line points of reference. Um, so that's like just something that I've always been doing. And it's just fun to be able to go around the world and like seek out the hidden new gallery that no one's known or that's challenging to get to. I'm constantly looking for that. And I do think um, our generation today can sometimes not notice something amazing that's in front of their eyes. Yeah. Sometimes you're walking through the world, not with your eyes open on your surroundings, but on your phone or just in your own head. How do you make sure that you're kind of always absorbing and looking and seeking? Is that something just ingrained in your DNA? Is that a learned skill? What advice would you give to folks? I think like how I mentioned before, how valuable an idea is, is like to hold on to those and to like also, you know, execute on them. You know, one of the things I think that's so important into the conversation that we're having here is how I've been able to evolve a brand is by like doing things and like actually making it happen. And I think that's just so important. Uh, and you get better. And, um, you know, being aware not only of that world around you, but also, you know, how you can have an imprint into that world. And I think that's super important. And, you know, if it's like a younger generation and they're like, Living in social, I would encourage to also like start a brand, do something, have ownership in something that you create and then build that value into it. It's so important. And then like when you're doing it for yourself, it's the ultimate motivator. You want to you want to keep getting better. You want to get better at what you do. Like um, and I think that's just something that drives me, keeps me present and like helps me to connect dots. 
And I think it's something, I mean, that's the whole premise of this podcast, right? It's what separates the creative people from the capital C creatives. Yeah. It's actually taking all of those ideas that we all do have and figuring out how to turn it into something tangible and meaningful and representative of that initial kind of light bulb. Yeah. And how to create processes that work for that, you know, and teams and resources in the network to be able to like bring ideas to an existence and to not be like trapped in like a fear of perfection, like just get it out there and then your next thing will be that much better. But it's never going to start if you don't start doing it. So I have to ask too, you have won a lot of acclaim. You've won some awards. Mm -hmm. I could almost see, and I've seen with other founders, they almost get success paralysis when they do well. You, You have that fear that, okay, I can't live up to my own goal. How do you think about that? There's not even almost time to like do an analysis. Like things are moving forward so quickly that like there's no real point of reflection. I love that. Like it's just going. So I love that, you know, and we're in New York City. So that's like where better of an environment to do that. And if someone sees you on the street wearing it, what do you think other folks will think? I hope they think where can they get one from themselves? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's the cool thing about like introducing like a new brands to a guy. You don't want them to like ever wonder if they should be wearing what they're wearing it should be easy and like that comes down to fit and there's like certain fundamentals to menswear that are like pretty defined you know there's not much innovation in the silhouette so how do you work within that world and I think parameters and design are like important and that is good design because if you just are concepting things where they can never translate you know what is that I think those boundaries actually cause for more creativity sometimes because you have to work within the lines. And so then how do you do it different if everyone's having to work within the same lines? You push those lines out as far as they can go. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for my chat with the award-winning fashion mind, Rochambeau's Lawrence Chandler. But we're not done yet. I have a special clip for you today from a chat that I hosted with two streetwear greats at the massive Project Men's Fashion Show in Vegas last month. I had the honor of sitting down with Carl Kanai, who's been called the godfather of streetwear after he started the brand Carl Kanai and dressed greats like Tupac and the notorious B.I.G. And with Jeff Staple, creator of Staple Design and the man behind the brand Staple Pigeon, who some say pioneered the now wildly popular collab culture when he partnered with people like Nike and Coca-Cola. You'll hear from them in that order from the convention center at Vegas's Mandalay Bay. You would not have been able to fight through all of these years without personally being able to handle those things. Yeah. What do you do, like, what is your process for working through one of those big decisions? Yeah, you know, to me, it's like, I really feel like your mental and your physical kind of works well together. And at the times when I was going through that, that's when I really started to get more in shape, started eating better, and I realized that this business is more of a marathon, it's not a sprint. You know, at first, you know, we thought this business was going to be a, a good payday, you kind of could chill out, but there's no chill in this business. You know, you got to stay focused and stay in your grind. And we realized now it's really a game now. It's all about assessing the situation and brand building for the future and setting up different things for your company so you don't have to go through these processes anymore. So we've been able, lucky enough, that we had a good team and a good establishment staff to help us build out different climax. And more important is the power of hip-hop. You know, we've had great support from many, many hip-hop artists throughout the years. You know, Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z, Nas, Diddy. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the artists that support our brand. So those things play a big role in success of your brand as well. And, and brand is built from within, but brand can also be built by association. Uh, Jeff, you are known for the collapse. You have been doing them for a while. Can you take us back to kind of your first 
real big collaboration and how that came about? Um, yeah, the first real big collaboration was a brand called Nike. You know, and heard of them? That was the first. That was actually the first any like even first small one. You know, um, and for me, collaboration, which is such a catch-all trendy phrase right now, it really comes from a need where party A wants to do something that they can't do, party B does something really good, but they can't do something either, and you come together and you're like, let's make each other worlds like better, you know? So like, I couldn't make a shoe, I could make a shoe, but it'd be a really crappy shoe, right? And Nike at the time was sort of having trouble talking to the audience that I was really talking to, which was like the streetwear kid. Um, and so we came together to create um, a dunk that was dedicated to New York City, you know, and I came back with this idea where I wanted to make it look like a pigeon, which was our logo, and they didn't understand why, but the great thing about Nike is that, like, they were like, we don't understand why you want to make your shoe look like a rat with wings and, like, vermin, but if that's what you want to do... They're obviously not in New York. They don't no, know the national bird of New yeah, York City. Or, like, pigeons in Portland are really nice. I don't know, but... Um, no, they let us do it, and that shoe went on to sort of earmark a new era in sneaker culture, sneaker collecting, sneaker resell, you know. Um, for those that don't know, you could just Google it, like Nike Pigeon Dunk, and you'll sort of see like what that what that shoe meant um, to the culture. Um, what yeah. did it mean? What did it mean to the? I think prior to that sneaker culture and sneaker heads was like a very very niche subculture. You know, like if there was like. If there was another kid wearing a certain pair of Air Force Ones on the street, you could just like give him a dap and be like, yo, I, I see you, you know, like if you were to do that now, like your arm would fall off because of the amount of people that are wearing quote unquote cool sh shoes right now, you know? So what the Pigeon Dunk did was really put sneaker culture on the map. And like it was on the front page of the New York Post, it was on the evening news and just everybody now understood that there was this subculture happening that is now obviously mainstream pop culture. Hey y'all, I hope you enjoyed that bonus content. If you did, I want you to tell me in your review of this podcast. Head on over to the show page, click those five stars, and include a line on what you thought was the best bit of the show. I may even read your feedback on the next episode. As always, you can shop all the Rochambeau pieces we talked about in this episode on vereshop.com inspo by clicking on Lawrence's picture. And don't forget the special code for first-time Vereshop customers to take 20% off their first purchase. Just type in inspo podcast at checkout. Thanks for listening and see you soon.